0: Holy episode with the one, the only, the man Gronkowski. You've seen it in the title. Chris Gronkowski joined us on the podcast today. He was in the NFL. He's one of the five Gronk brothers. He is an absolute incredible human being, an incredible entrepreneur. The notes that I have are insane, and I can't even do them justice. But this episode is loaded with nugget after nugget on how to build a team, how to take culture, how to take lessons from the NFL and use it to make your business profitable, how to literally profit off your passion, how to have tenacity, how to have grit. If you want it, you have to get it. Find a way to do it right or you're gonna be doing it again. The dark side of being a professional athlete. Have you ever created the shared reason for your team to exist? Probably not and I'd recommend listening to how. Are you preparing yourself to ensure that you win? And if you want to win, there's one thing that you must have, which is a team because no one wins alone and this episode is loaded with nugget after nugget that will help you at any stage of your business from one of the greatest in the world from one of the most successful families in the world in entrepreneurship and sports and we break it all down in today's episode so without further ado let's get into the show are you ready to ethically scale your business good Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Mind of Your Show. I feel like today I'm blessed with royalty. That's the only way that I could describe this because there has to be something that is in this man's blood that spreads genetically through the family. And even though his brother might make fun of him on Jimmy Kimmel, this (laughs) man's the one who's really winning the game and he's in a position of power. And so I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend. I'll tell you his name in a minute. But he's done it all. He's done it from professional sports to being an entrepreneur, to being on Shark Tank, to literally taking over the socials and literally is a walking example, in my opinion, of what an entrepreneur can be. Heart-led, heart-centered, always driven to make a difference and figuring out until he does. He's a husband, he's a father, three boys, one girl on the way. So we gotta make the Gronkowski bloodline take over women's sports as well, so it's on the way. And so today, I am blessed to have the one, the only Chris Gronkowski, welcome to the show
1: man i like it man you got to got to bring up that jimmy kimmel disc though come on come
0: on <laughs> Dude, I, I saw it and i was like you're a nicer brother than me man i'm like he went like straight for the jugular he didn't even answer jimmy's question it was like a riff on you the whole time
1: yeah me and my brother glenn man he just went in hard on us but you know what i used to this content and um yeah i posted it and put a little spin on it and uh, it's got a couple million views on it so it's all good <laughs>
0: I, I loved it when I watched it because I saw it and then I saw your green screen face come on and I was like, oh, this is so, so good. So good. So good. What, know, what's it really like? I mean, like, I'm still to this day, like, I'm amazed at your bloodline and like how you how you figured it out. But like, what's family dinner like around the holidays? Like, is it like a straight up frat house prank war or is it like a calm general like, oh, it's so good to catch up as a family?
1: I mean, now, like, man, we haven't ate together as a family in a long time just because, you know, we were playing you know, different teams and everyone's all over the place now. But, you know, back in the day, it, it was mayhem, man. Like, my mom would try to cook Thanksgiving Day dinner and, uh, you know, we'd eat half of it before you know, it wasn't even finished. So uh, everything was all about competitions. We would literally compete over who could eat more, you know, who could eat faster. <clears throat> every single thing we did every day was was some kind of competition. So, it was crazy, man. Uh, it, it usually ended up with us, you know, playing some kind of game at some point, you know, backyard baseball. We played like little, like a mini stick game in the basement. Uh, it always ended in a fight. That was it. Like it was going to end in a brawl every single day because, you know, if you lost, you, know, you were pissed, you were going to fight. But if you won, you, you had to rub it in and make sure they knew that you won. So it just led to a fight every single time.
0: Oh, uh, it's like a reality TV before it existed. Your entire home was designed to bring out the best and worst of everybody. So everybody wins.
1: Yeah. Bed, you take five boys and then you also bring in like, you know, we, we were the house where all the friends came over too. So it wasn't just us five, it was us five plus, you know, a couple <laughs> friends each. And there's always something going on at the house and you know, you would have tried to beat up your older brother, but we were all two years apart. So it was hard to beat your older brother up. So then you kind of, you go after his friends you try to fight his friends instead, so. It was always some kind of good action going down, man. It was always, always something happening at our house.
0: I love it. And now, are you are you the second oldest so you're the oldest?
1: No, so I'm the middle of the
0: five. Oh, so you're dead middle.
1: Dead middle. Yep.
0: Okay. And so the oldest one, like, who was it? Like, was it your dad or your parents that like got you into sports? Or were you all kind of like into sports at a young age?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, our parents pretty much made us play sports because they didn't want us in the house. It was like, like get outside. Yeah, like it was like, yeah, it was way too much. So my mom would always just say like, go outside and play. Like, you guys aren't sitting inside. You're not watching TV. You're not playing video games. Go outside, get your energy out. Like I can't handle you guys in this house. And we lived in a small house. We all had bunk beds. So it, it was mayhem. So, you know, it was all about, okay, hey, get home, do your homework, get outside, have fun, play. And you, know, you grew up in a neighborhood with a bunch of kids and you know, we didn't have like fences or anything. You just walked through each other's yards. You showed up at each other's houses that's how it was so and we played football baseball uh really everything in our backyard but we didn't actually play a structured football until high school so oh, okay uh yeah it was a lot of hockey we grew up in buffalo new york so we played a ton of hockey uh and a ton of baseball and really it was just all about playing different sports competing against each other and we just learned how to beat athletes really at the end of the day
0: yeah i love it and then for you nfl and then one of you baseball right
1: yeah, the oldest brother never played football. Um he was he was smaller, I would say, I guess, in high school. He just it's probably six two, hundred and sixty-five pounds. Just um went out his senior year. My brother was my my second oldest brother was the starting quarterback. He threw him a pass that hurt his hands and uh he decided he wasn't gonna play football anymore. So uh he ends up going to college and, and playing baseball and, and earning a full scholarship. But um grew grew about four inches in college and put on about sixty pounds and you know, comes back and was like, man, I should have played tight end. Like, yeah, he kind of blew that opportunity.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. This, you have like a house of giants. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't wait one day. Like if I show up at Gronk beach, I'm like all of you, I'm like, I'm, I'm five, seven on a good day, depending on gravity that day.
1: So man. Know, yeah. So it's funny. Cause like all the photos of us together, I look small. And so I get asked all like when people meet me, they're like, man, how are you so big? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, oh, like in all your photos, you look tiny. like, yeah, I look small because I'm next to my brothers in every photo. So they, you know, Rob, Gord, Dan, uh, you know, they got five inches on me for the most part. So I'm, I'm six two, you know, played at 240 pounds. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the small one in the family.
0: I, yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Your mom did a really good job. I would have loved to know food bills back in the day, but luckily we're entrepreneurs so we can make it. I love that, dude
1: yeah okay. my mom was like a, a full-time chef and uh also like a, a full-time uh uber driver i guess is what you'd say uh <laughs> i don't know actually, it, 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 you know i mean it was it really was like trying to get us to practice every day to school multiple teams you got five kids trying to feed us we ate every single meal at home or she packed every meal for us because we didn't have a lot of money and you know we, we couldn't go to restaurants together uh you mm-hmm. know like, just for her to control us at a restaurant was pretty much impossible so we had to eat at home uh i I don't think
0: still i would take the grog to a restaurant right after rent (laughs) yeah man so
1: you know between the having no money and also just uh you know not being able to control us as kids it just was never happening so she used to use it as kind of like this incentive for us to behave for a month and uh we'd actually go to denny's and there was the 199 out of your mind special and uh yeah, once a month. If we all behaved, we didn't like you know do anything really bad or get into any like massive, massive fights, we'd be allowed to go. And like out of the full year, we might go once. And uh, usually, what would happen is like we get halfway there, and my mom would turn around because we're all fighting in the car. So it, it was every year. Like as I have kids now, I'm like, how did my parents possibly do this, and uh, and why? Like why did you why did you keep having kids? Like it was such mayhem and. and So do you think about it too? Like there was no cell phones either. No. It's like trying to trying to like pick us up or like drive us to practice or like she physically couldn't bring each and every one of us to every practice because it was impossible. You know, we were playing multiple teams. uh, There's five kids. So she'd actually have to like call the week before to the neighbor and be like, hey, or our coach, like, hey, can you pick my son up for this practice and and drive him home? I, I can bring your kid next week kind of thing. And it's like, that's so insane to even think about now
0: it's so different now i mean like i was stuck my daughter is 17 so when she got her license last year i like hallelujah like i was like oh my god i'm not a cab driver anymore I'm like hey you have a new job you are now an uber driver for your five-year-old brother um i need to yep. go to the grocery store i need to, it's payback time like here we go yeah dude that's that's so it's actually really nuts to think about like hey come home when the street lights turn on like just yeah. walk into Jimmy's house, like borrow sugar from the neighbor. Like I remember we would play street. I grew up in New England, right? I was in, Fo- I actually was in Foxborough growing up. So back then everybody played hockey. So in the summer we would just play street hockey all day. And then we'd go in whoever's house and steal other Cokes from their parents. And we would work out for like 10 hours and we would just down Coca-Colas. And we're like, oh, I wonder why I'm not a really good athlete right now. <laughs> such a different world, dude. It's such a different world. So I love it. And then. So you went from that and then college. So football, high school, football, college. And then did you get drafted right out of college?
1: So I went, uh, went into the draft. I went undrafted. Uh, I signed okay. as an undrafted rookie. Uh, same process as being drafted. You just don't get as much money.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> get it. It. Yeah. So, um, you know, the within an hour after the draft ended, you know, I got a call. I signed it with the Cowboys. And then it's the same process. You know, you're going, um, you know into off season training, uh, you're going into summer training with all the other guys who did get drafted. Uh, and at that point, you know, right into camp and, um, you know, the difference is, is you have a lot harder and less chance of, uh, making the team is what it comes down to. Uh, you don't get a nice signing bonus. You're kind of, uh, a one and done kind of thing. You know, if you don't make it, you know, it's probably your last chance you're ever going to have. So I knew that going into it. And, um, you know, it was kind of this mentality of, you know, there's no option for me at this point. Like, all three of my other brothers got drafted. My younger brother went second round and I was like, man, if I don't make this team, that's all I'm going to be asked for the rest of my life. Like the whole family made it, you know, what, what happened to you? So a complete mindset, man. Like you can't have a mindset like that. You know, people ask like, did your, your brothers help you get to that level? I'm like, yeah, they did. Because if I didn't have three brothers that made it, I wouldn't have had that mindset. You know, it would have been a lot easier to just say, man, like this is tough. I wasn't drafted. It's not, it's not cut out for me, but th- there was no chance that I could say that at that point, you know, we had bloodlines that all made it. And, uh, you know, there was, there was no excuse at that point not to. So, uh, mindset was, I was a different person. Yeah. You know, I was going to do anything and everything I possibly could to make that roster.
0: Yeah, man. I, I, I actually think like I've consumed a lot of your content. Like we had the pleasure of like connecting. And then I was like, God, you're like my spirit animal, like from another mother, like I love you, but like you're the way that you view things and your tenacity and the way that you think about concepts and even the content that you put out, like, I love that whole, like, it's like, if it's up to be, it's up to me kind of mentality, right? Like, I'm in charge of my destiny. I control what I put into this. Was that something that came like through your childhood or is that something you kind of found in college? Was there like a moment where that like switch flipped for you? Was it the, I'm the only one that didn't get drafted? Like, what was that like for you?
1: man i mean i I think it was just the way we were raised um you know, I, I think you can see with all of our brothers, you know, there's five boys you know it's it's hard to see a family with five kids that are all successful uh and our family is I mean, a lot of people don't see it now, but my dad's been in business for thirty two years. uh, we all went into the business world afterwards, you know, Rob's not done yet, but um he's he's made made a lot of really good business decisions already himself, but um you know, our bar- our parents taught us really the value of a dollar and the value of hard work at a young age. So, uh, nothing was ever just handed to us. Uh, at first it was because my parents didn't have any money, but once they did, it was still the same way. You know, if you wanted to go to college, it was, Hey, cool. You, you can go to college, but you better get a scholarship or you better pay for it. And, and my dad, you know, his whole thing was, I'll help you. You know, if, if you want to get there, I'll give you a loan, but you're going to pay me back. So it was never, Hey, here's the free car. It wasn't, you know, there's no chance. We get a full scholarship. We didn't get a free car. It was, hey, come to work for me, uh, deliver treadmills and and ellipticals on the weekend and buy your own car. You know, that's, that's just how it was. So, uh, with that, I I mean, it's hard to do uh, and and I have kids now and, you know, I can give them the world. So I understand how hard it is now, but, um, when you do that, you you really teach them how to work for it. You know, that you teach them the value of the dollar and, and what it takes to be successful. So, I didn't know anything different you know I, we had a paper route when i was 10 uh umpiring when i was 12. Uh, yep. yeah so uh you know at 15 i was working for my dad delivering treadmills uh at 16 i was driving his trucks and uh you know at that point it's like i don't know anything different all, all i know is you know i have to do it i have to get it done i have to find a way to get it done and, and you know you just that's the mindset it, that's you're you're gonna find a way to do it right or you're gonna do it again so you know, we learned at a young age, and I, I think that just really helped all of us be successful, not not even just in business. I mean, think I think sports, too, you know, it, it all transfers over. And my parents just did a really good job of, of really teaching us that skill at a young age.
0: God, I mean, not like you want a one liner for me, like, I'll put that shit in a fortune cookie. Find a way to do it right or you're going to do it again.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's that's the truth. <laughs> that- I've done it twice a lot of times, so I can't say I was perfect on that, but uh, you learn quick.
0: Yeah, man, for sure. And then, so then, because like I love I love learning about the timeline, right? So then you go to Dallas, right? How long were you at Dallas?
1: Yeah, so I was with the Cowboys for a year. Uh, went into training camp the next year with them, got released, got signed by the Colts. Uh, played a season with the Colts and um, week seven tore my pec, had pec surgery, so I was out for the year. Uh, came back from it got traded um in, in the offseason to the Broncos and um played with the Broncos for a year and then uh had a three year contract. Contract was up. Uh, at that point I, I signed with the Chargers, went into camp with them, uh high ankle sprain in camp, signed an injury settlement and um, you know, tried to come back from that and uh kind of try out, ran a 40 yard dash on the third step, ruptured my hamstring and uh it was either have surgery and try to keep playing or, you know, just just walk away from the game and let it scar down and just live a normal life. So uh, at that point, it was almost a blessing in disguise, man, because it's your identity. It's hard to walk away from. And uh, for me, that finally was just kind of like, hey, you know, you're good, man. It's time to go to the next step in your life.
0: Yeah, man. And what what would you say like and I I have I actually have quite a few friends that played in the NFL and I always love asking this question and I'm always shocked, like the answers I get, like, for you like thinking back on that like career like what was one of the most challenging things about being like a professional football player
1: so i mean everyone thinks it's like hey this is this this fun game that you're playing yeah. uh and, and like it, at the end of the day man it's a job and it's a job where you know you don't it's unlike any other i mean every single thing is filmed it's critiqued it's watched not not even just by you know one person it's watched by millions of people who then talk trash about you if you don't have a good game uh <laughs> But it's it's also, it's not even just physical, you know, the physical aspect of it's very challenging, uh, but the mental aspects there as well, you know, uh, you know there's a lot of sleepless nights, uh, you know, one bad play, you can get cut, you can never play again, one injury, you know, away from never playing again as well. But uh, it, it was this kind of how I explained it to people. You know, I, when I played every time I went to the dentist, they'd be like, man, you got to wear a mouth guard. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, dude, all you're doing is grinding your teeth at night. And that's, that was, you know, I was so stressed out. Uh, I just grind and grind and grind. I sleep like four hours a night because if I missed, you know, if I came late, I guess one minute, I was going to get fined a $1,000. And I, you know, for me as a bubble player, I was probably going to get cut. Uh, so, you know, being late to practice, you know, you just keep waking up throughout the night. You know, I can't be late, can't be late. That's all you're thinking about. Thinking about the play from the night before, grinding the hell out of my teeth. And, uh, you know, when I finally was done playing and I slept in, for one day with no stress, no pressure, any of that, it was like, wow, this is a feeling I haven't felt in years. Uh, all that stopped, like the whole, like grinding my teeth, all that was, was done. So it just shows you how much pressure is really on you, man. Like it is a game. You know, you, you do love the game, but at the end of the day, like there's only one game a week you know, and, and the rest of the week, it's a job. And it's, you know, it's a physical job where literally you're playing injured or hurt, The whole time and and the whole name of the game is just staying healthy you know how can i recover get ready for the next week and uh and ball out again so uh man it's it's challenging it's for sure challenging uh i don't know how guys play for like 10 15 years especially at a position where you get hit uh and you're taking hits every single day because man it's hard waking up at 6 a.m 5 a.m every day just hurting and and still just dragging yourself in there and just going at it each and every day, man. So yeah, it's, it's cool. At the end of the day, I'd never replace it. People are like, man, why would you, how can you complain about that? I'm like, I, I never complained about it. It was one of the best things that could ever happen to me it was my identity. It's helped me so much after I've been done playing uh, wow. and the money from it, you know, even though I was the lowest paid player possible uh, in the entire league, uh, it still helped me leave with zero debt, with you know a good stack of money in the bank I wasn't a millionaire. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have millions of dollars. I wasn't set for life, uh, even though I started for three different teams for three years. Uh, I got pension, I got 401k, I got all that, but I still got to work you know, I still have to have a, a whole career in front of me after that, but it set me up to then do what I wanted to do. you know I was able to take that money and invest it into a business and grow the business and you know without that money it's hard you know it's, it's very hard totally. to get right. and, it's, and and it's hard to take that step and put all that risk on something when you don't have it. So it was, a, it was the biggest blessing I could have ever had. I loved it. Um, at the same time, it was the hardest job I'll ever have. That's, that's for sure.
0: For sure, yeah. I, I always think it's interesting, you know, cause I, I it's weird. Like I, I didn't have a professional athlete bone in my body. Like I, all midget of me, I'm wider than I'm taller, right? I'm just, I was built to be a short fullback, right? So I was like, oh, there's better things for my life, <laughs> right? Weightlifting was one of them crossed, it was one, but it's the same thing for me, it's like, you know, I was in the Marine Corps for 13 years. And if you ask me now, I'm like, I don't know why I did it. Would I ever do it again? Like, from this point? No, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, there's those moments, those experiences. And I was like, and like, similar to like, what's it like? I'm like, well, until you're having to pour Tabasco in your eye to stay awake on a machine gun in the middle of the night, so you and your friends don't get killed. It's kind of hard to understand. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I was like, but that's like one of the favorite memories I have from my life is the fact that I'm here to tell you and the story that comes from that and the the resiliency and and the the perspective I think was a big one for me. And and, so I get and, it,
1: man. And the people you meet, man. I mean, you're, you're a team yep. as well. And um, you know, those are the memories you remember forever. Is you remember the tough times and you remember the people that you went through those tough times with. So you know, those are those are the memories that I'll I'll never forget with the guys that I, I was just battling with that were also, you know, undrafted or just, you know, making the team. And, you know, you're sitting there on cut day, like, man, what do you, what do you think? What do you think? And those those memories last forever, man. So when you go through tough times with tough people, you become friends for life.
0: Yeah, man, I love that. And also I have a question about that. So like, I, I've actually worked with some professional teams as clients of mine. And so I've, I've had this like behind the scenes thing. And one of the things that shocked me the most was how transactional in nature the entire thing is. It's like you on a piece of paper on a wall are just a pawn on a chessboard. But yet, the way that it's portrayed to the world and the paradigm is like, oh, there's these, they're the greatest, we take care of them and it's boom. And I was like, that's not how it really is. And so, you know, when you think about that and the identity of like, I'm a professional football player, I'm an athlete, but yet at the same time, you kind of have to self create that identity because they're, you're dispensable in their world and so have you carried any of that over into now entrepreneurship like how you lead a team like how you build your company how you create culture like have you carried any of those lessons over like good or bad to kind of change what you've done with Ice shaker
1: yeah for sure it took me a long time to do it too which um i i, I wish i kind of sat back and thought about it more but you know i mean all these amazing organizations you know a football team, isn't just the players in the locker room, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a whole front office behind it. I it's pretty impressive how they work and and the operations behind it. But when you're a player, you don't think about it like that, you know, you're there to do your job and you know, you're there and you don't even think about the front office and all of the things behind the scenes that have to go down for a football game to happen. So, um, you know, what I, what I tried to do in business was I tried to replicate that feeling I had as a player. You know, you walk into a locker room and everyone's there for one reason. You know, they're there to be the best player they can and, and to win football games. Uh, and then you get into the business world and you find out really quickly that most people aren't there for any other reason than themselves and to, you know, try to make a paycheck. And, you know, they're not there to, to try their best uh, to help the company win. You know, they're there to just get by and, and, and get a paycheck. So uh, the way to change that culture, though, is to kind of make it similar to a locker room. You know, get that same feeling. You'll make it so that everyone's included, everyone feels like they're a part of the team, and everyone knows how to win. Uh, So it took me, it took me at least three years to finally realize, like, hey, there's, there's really no difference here. It's the same thing, business and a team. The structure of it, it's the same thing. You just got to find a way to to make it the same. You got to find a way to get everyone aligned and on the same page to want to win. You got to give them the tools and and the structure to. Know, know what it actually means to to get to that next level and and be successful and hit their goal so uh that was a lot of that it was on me man you know we started something from nothing it just grew and grew and grew I never you know knew uh or been in like a corporate structure like that before to kind of know uh what it should be like and, and how to set goals for people and it just you know it's just something that happened and just kept going so uh I had to learn and kind of step back at different stages of the business and just say hey You know, I I can't be the player anymore. I have to be the coach at this point. You know, I have to coach this guy. This is my assistant coach. We got to come together as a team. Let's just structure it the same way. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, once we did that, the culture completely changed. Uh, we found ways to incentivize people, um, as a team instead of as individuals. And right when we did that, it was all about how can we work together to win as a company. And it was incredible once, once that happened. So, uh, man, I I wish I did it earlier, but anyone like in any organization right now, if if you're walking in and it doesn't feel like a team or, you know, like you're walking into a locker room and it doesn't feel like everyone's trying to win, you got to do something to change it. You got to find a way to realign everybody's goals so that when you walk in, you're like, yeah, man, I'm back. Like he, you know, any level, it could be high school, football, whatever it is. Everyone kind of knows that feeling when they walk into, you know, a locker room uh, or an office and everyone's there for the right reasons.
0: Yeah, man, I, I love that. That's such a I think we every entrepreneur I know, myself included, through all the failures and the successes, have come to that lesson at some point where you get to invest in the human, and then that human becomes a part of the team. And I think like there's a lot of parallels. Like for those familiar with sports, it's like, you know, one of the things that I know is like your whole life was basically set up for you to be a machine. You had access to the best food, to the best nutritionists, to the best coaches, to the best blank, blank, blank. So you could perform at your best. And I think a lot of times. I go into a lot of companies and it's like, it makes me feel like the Marine Corps again, where they expect us to do the job with like the worst shit possible. Like, I have Air Force <laughs> hand me downs 25 years later and they're like, okay, there's 181,000 Marines in the entire Marine Corps and 6 million people in the rest of the armed forces. You have all their equipment from 25 years ago and I want you to go be in the front. And we're like, okay, got it. Right. But when you actually take the time to invest in, that culture and that team and set them up to win. I, I think it also changes the level of investment that people have in the culture as well. So I love that. I love that, man. So I I don't know this and I've actually, I never bothered looking into this because I've just known you as post ice shaker, right? Like I, I caught you after ice shaker was started, but like, where did the idea come from? Like, where did that happen? Like you're at the chargers, you're there, you're, you're kind of in there you pull your hammy or your ankle sprain or whatever, like, what was it? Was it something you were already thinking about? Did you just get struck with an idea? Like, where did the idea come from?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I was done playing. I was actually working with my wife on a a business that she has called Everything Decorated. We're doing personalized gifts. And um, it was really successful. We're actually making more money doing that than I was in my NFL career. So uh, it did really (laughs) well. And at the end of the day, it, 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 just wasn't my passion. Like I didn't post about it. I wasn't on social. I didn't tell people what I did when people asked, it was kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of doing my thing. You know, it's, everything's cool. And, um, you know, realized like, Hey, at some point, like I got to get back into sports and fitness. Like that's, that's where I belong. That's what I grew up doing. That's what I'm passionate about. So, uh, about five years after I retired uh, from the NFL, I was working out and man, I had a plastic shaker bottle. It was hot outside in Texas and I get to the gym, it's sweating everywhere. I'm actually making like little sweat rings on the ground in between each each side of bench. And uh, I take a sip of it, it's warm, it smells awful. And I'm like, man, like there's gotta be something better out there. So go home that day and um, there is there was insulated bottles. People are like, there was insulated bottles, right? But there was none that had like a, a top that was big enough to pour supplements into. Uh, there was nothing to actually blend it. So you can get one with like a little tiny spout on it. You can take like a funnel and put powder into it. It's going to clump up and that's going to be impossible to clean. But, um, yeah, <laughs> so
0: before I had an ice shaker, I literally have hundreds of these funnels because I could never get supplements in a bottle.
1: Yeah. So there's, and, and even if you could like the, the, I mean, a lot of people still do that. They put it into like the plastic, you know, water bottles or whatever, but, uh, I just wanted something really that I could use all day, every day. You know, what I was doing was I was taking something that was insulated, bringing it to work. Then I was running home to get the plastic shaker bottle to mix up the pre workouts or PCAs, whatever it was. And then I was changing, getting home, like using another cup. I'm like, man, like I'm such a simple guy. Like I just want one cup I can use all day, every day, like everywhere I go. And that was kind of the idea. let's make one cup that I can use as a water bottle. I can bring to work, or I can bring it to the gym and I can mix powders in it, or I can bring it on the airplane. I can toss in the pool. You know, I could do whatever with it. I can just sit at home. I can take the top off and use it as a wide mouth, you know, cup. You know, whatever, whatever I needed, I could do it all in one cup. That was kind of the idea. So, uh, started it really passion for myself. Uh, had no idea where it would go and, uh, had a game plan behind it. You know, I had, I had an email from my agent asking for uh current or former NFL players that might want to get on shark tank. So when I kind of started it, I was like, man, I'm going to go back to this email at some point, but first I got to make a, a sweet product that I actually have some kind of proof of concept behind and, uh, know, started out of the upstairs of my house side hustle and. Work for my wife. I'd come home and you know I'd check the emails. I'd send out the product that sold, and on the weekends I'd go to shows and um, you know I, I'd try to sell as much as I could. And every every minute I had spare time, I was trying to work on the business. You know, figure out little things, jump on YouTube, like you know how do I how do I Photoshop this item? You know how do I how do I rank up on Amazon? Like anything I could possibly do, I was trying to do. And it's so funny looking back at how bad it was at first. <laughs> but that's kind of like, that's kind of what you do at first, man. I spent no money on advertising. I was just trying to organically grow something and uh, shipped it out of the upstairs of my house with no overhead. So it was all good. And uh, about three months into it was when I, I applied for, for Shark Tank, I had about $25,000 in sales and I was like, man, it's, let's see, let's see what happens here and was able to uh, get through the submission round. And uh, it was a big process, you go leading into that. So when I, when I pitched that three months into the company, they said, Hey, the next time we record is in three months in June. So I kind of had this, this three month window to sell as much product as I possibly could. So I had the 25 from the first three months. I was able to get it up to about 80,000 over the next three months and get on the show and, uh, put a whole game plan together to ask for a million dollar valuation.
0: I, I love it. And one of the things I love the most is, didn't you watch like every episode and write down every question that they'd ever asked?
1: Yeah, so I, that was that was a huge blessing. I mean, I wasn't the first episode. uh, your you know, first season, you know, we we're season nine. So yeah. I can go back and, and I was already a huge fan of the show. I was already I probably already watched like 80% of them. So the 20% I didn't watch, you know, I, I found and I just watched everything in series and um, wrote down every question they had. So I knew the personalities of each and every shark. I knew the questions they asked. I knew the questions I couldn't answer off the top of my head. And I had to find out, uh, you know, some more information on, and and I did. And I kind of memorized every single possible answer uh, to every question they've ever asked in the past. And uh, the big question mark was, was Alex Rodriguez though? You know, he'd never been on. He was a guest for that episode. They do tell you ahead of time that there's going to be a guest. And then, um, you know, once they solidify it, they do let you know who the guest is. So you can kind of do a little bit of homework on it. But the guy was, you know, there was no information on him. Like, you know, he was coming off his baseball career. Uh, he had like, you know, A Rod Corp. No one really knew what A Rod Corp was. There was like no information on it anywhere. So he was, he was kind of a question mark. But besides that, I could, I could answer any question that any of the other sharks had ever asked in the past.
0: I love it, man. Yeah. I think um, I have a lot of friends and companies in mine that have been on Shark Tank. I don't think people know how rigorous that is either. Just the submission process, the videos, the approval process, the filming. I mean, how long were you actually in the tank filming
1: yeah, so the the due diligence to get there is is rough, like there's a lot of paperwork, uh a lot of back and forth, and it's a huge process, but um going into the tank, yeah, they show the best eight minutes or whatever it is, but you're in there, I was probably in there for i would say close to an hour yeah uh forty five minutes to an hour. It's hard to tell because time flies when you're you know in in a huge moment, but uh, you, know, they're gonna ask everything like they they didn't just invest and give me an offer. I mean, it's a real deal. I mean, they're going into season 10. They know exactly how it works. They know how much work it is to uh, to invest into a company. There's so much paperwork, due diligence, all that. And then, you know, they still have to put a lot of time and effort in uh, either personally or, you know, with their company that they hire to kind of help you. So there's a a lot there. You know, there's a ton there. So for them to just say like, oh, it's only $50,000. And, you know, for us, like it was 75K per, per shark, you know, Mark and Alex both put in 75K, but all the work and the time and all that that goes with it like it's a lot man so if you just go and, and throw it at every single company that goes up there you're gonna waste a lot of time a lot of effort a lot of money and you're probably gonna get burnt down pretty quick so by season 10 you know, they had it down you know they were drilling me with you know every question possible uh they knew you know what i did in in high school they knew my first jobs all my jobs they you know they knew what my degree was you know, why, why I didn't, you know, I was actually committed to, uh, University of Penn at first. I was going to Ivy league. You know, why didn't I go there? What was my decision behind that? Like all kinds of crazy questions. And it was like, man, these guys go pretty deep. Like they want to know who I am in my personality and, and how hard, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really going to push this thing. So I was pretty impressed with, uh, the actual process and at the end of the day, man, it's real money. It's their money. And they're really sending it over. They're really investing in you and they're really putting their time and effort into it. So it all makes sense. But yeah, man, I would say a solid hour of really getting to know who I was as a person.
0: Yeah. And what would you say, like, as you did that? Cause you went through, you prepared a ton, right? You came through, you got close to a million dollars. Like, they gave you 150 for 15% or something.
1: Yeah. So we got a million dollar valuation out of it.
0: Yeah. So what was your plan of like looking at that? You're like, all right, I've had $80,000 in sales. What was your positioning to be like, I have a million dollar valuation?
1: That that was the hardest part, right? But if you have a way to explain it, then they're gonna they're gonna believe it, right? And, and as long as you can arguably, you know, put some decent kind of argument out there, they're they can't deny it because you're so early on. You know, you're six yep. months in. You know, you're making you we're profitable, we're making money. The proof of concepts there. What is it worth? It, it's so hard to tell. So it's worth whatever you can argue it's worth at that point. Uh, so I did, I sat down with my dad and I was like, dad, you know, how do, how do I get to a million? You know, how do I get to a million on this? And he's like, well, you know, if you value it at 5X and, you know, based on the sales you've already had and you give yourself, you know, a, a 20 times multiplier from this show in, in growth, you know, that you're going to see over the next, you know, 12 months from it, which we, which we did, you know, we put you at this number. So I was like, that's, hey, we explained it. So it all makes sense. Now, as long as you can explain it at that stage in in a business, that's, that's, uh, that's all you got, man, because there is absolutely no And I asked this question to like Mark's advisors afterwards. I'm like, how do you guys value these companies? He's like, you know, it's pretty much impossible. Especially if it's super early on. I mean, you're really, you're taking a chance on the person at that point, you know, six months in, uh, you know, the, the idea looks good. Maybe they have some patents. I didn't have any patents. I had nothing uh but it was really like hey uh they had a good feeling about it the product was making money they thought it was you know, overall a decent idea it reached all all audiences you know there's a big market for it so you know it, it kind of made sense at that point but yeah i would never i would never you know try to put an exact number on a, a company that's six months in business i mean it's it's impossible
0: for sure and then and so you didn't have a patent either so you didn't, you, like, you, like, designed, created this this product. So, was it after Shark Tank that helped you, like, protect it?
1: Uh, so, I mean, they I did everything myself afterwards. Uh, oh, they okay. definitely would help with guidance. But we came back, and we have a lot of different patented products now. Uh, but at that time, it, it was such a simple product. There was nothing to patent. I mean, I literally took a regular cup, and I put a shaker top on it. there was there was nothing there we came back and you know we redesigned the lid we we created a twist and agitator that no one else was doing uh and we patented that feature uh and then just the designs of everything as well is now patented so uh there's a lot of ip on it now but at Mm -hmm. that time it it was super super basic uh it was more of a, a first to market play i guess is what you would say
0: yeah well i mean like i'm i'm a i'm an addict like for those listening I, i've literally replaced every cup in my house with ice shakers once i got a hold of them because i found it years ago but then i never bought one then somebody sent me one and i was hooked and then i met you and i'm like i'm really fucking hooked now i'm in i'm drinking the kool-aid you have pink i'll take it we're good i'll use it every single day now i just spread that shit everywhere
1: hey we got we got every color i think i think we have over 20 maybe 30 different variations at one point but um yeah. I mean, that's that you can use it for everything. And that was the idea, you know, the idea really for me was one, we have a lot of customers that have like 20 of them. And I'm like, yeah, I don't even have 20. So oh, the, yeah. the whole idea was to have one, but then you start, you know, people want one for work, uh, want one from house, uh, want one to make a protein shake in, want one just for water. I'm like, yep. that's that definitely works for me. And and we've came out with other bottles too. So it's no longer just the shaker bottle. Uh, I, don't, I actually we have our jug coming, so I have a half gallon, full gallon jug as well. So I was using okay. it today, but it should be here, uh, be here next week. Is uh, is what it's looking like. So super pumped to get those in as well. Uh, but we have everything: tumblers, cups, shakers, jugs at this point.
0: And then, what year did you launch Ice Shaker?
1: Uh, so we launched. I mean, realistically, the first sales were January 2017. Okay, uh, so we're we're going into year six.
0: OK, cool. And like to this point now, like, have you been like, have you noticed now? Uh, not even noticed. Right. But like, I feel like the last two years has been a really big magnifying glass on business for people. Right. Entrepreneurship, the state of the world, everything else. Like to this point, like what has been like one of the biggest challenges that you've come up against that you've overcame when it comes to Ice Shaker?
1: Uh, myself is what I is what I say. Yeah, uh, I love that, man it's, I mean, this is really what happened was, you know, I'm coming out of the NFL. I'm super competitive. Think of this idea. I think it's the best idea in the world. Uh, I want to do every single thing myself. You know, I want to control the marketing. I want to control the website. I want to, you know, ship the product, make sure it's perfect. I want to, you know, do the customer service and make sure the customers are, are, you know, hearing from me and they're getting everything they need to know. And at the end of the day, uh, I I couldn't grow. I couldn't scale, you know, it, it was impossible to. And I would then bring in people to help me. And then, you know, I did a terrible job of first off training them. And then I would never truly delegate the responsibility to them. So I bring them in, Hey, you're here for marketing, but I'd still sit there and do the marketing and the, you know, all it did was it just made people frustrated at at the end of the day. And and I didn't see that. I saw it as, you know, why am I not doing it? Why am I making someone else do it when I can do it myself? You know, why, why? It, It almost felt bad for doing it. Like, Hey, like. Why would I do this to him? I feel bad. Like I need to, I need to be doing that. So uh, at the end of the day, what I realized was that, you know, the pandemic hit, I couldn't do everything myself. I couldn't even be there in person. We had to do split shifts because, you know, the whole, the whole rules with, you know, staying six feet apart and not too many people in a building and all that stuff. So uh, at that point, I physically couldn't be there. And I started delegating the responsibilities because I had to, and, you know, I had three kids at home and it was absolute mayhem. And um, when I did that, it was like. The response was exact opposite of what I thought, you know, I, I almost felt like I was doing a disservice making them do this work. But when I started giving them responsibilities and they were doing the work, they were appreciative. They're like, man, this is awesome. Like, I, I, I would love to do this. Like, I'd love to have that responsibility and and take care of that. And, you know, they felt like they were a part of the team at that point and that they could actually make decisions that affected the company and, and can help us grow. So, uh, it was, it was. a a mind opener and i was like man i've been just holding us back because i can work i can work a lot and i i mean i i put in 90 hour weeks probably every single week for the first two three years of ice shaker and i you know that you think you're doing the right thing and at the end of the day at first yeah maybe maybe it helps because you don't have a lot of cash flow and you got to kind of figure things out but after that once you can hire as fast as you can and hire delegate train well Put the structure in place, you know. Have the expectations set from day one, and you're going to grow and you're going to scale. So, that was my biggest mistake by far. Was, you know, just me, just me not realizing that if you want to win, you got to have a team. It, it's not a, it's not a one man sport. You know, business is the same way as athletics. You know, you win as a team. You know, there's there's no there's no I in team. And once I finally realized that our, our sales and our team and everything has just went to the next level.
0: Yeah. I love, and I mean, even for the people, cause get it out of your fucking head. Well, what about Tiger Woods? I'm like, you should see their team too. Their teams are huge. You just don't see them on the course with them, but they are huge. I love
1: yeah, that. Yeah. You can't do it yourself. I mean, even just his, I'm sure he has a massive just PR team just to handle all that stuff that comes in. I mean, there's, there's so many teams behind the scenes so that he can focus on what he does best. And that's, you know, playing golf. When
0: it sounds like too, like even that distinction, even deepens what you said earlier about creating that culture. Like it gives people responsibility and ownership and, and meaning. And then when you set the expectation and you help nurture to the results, then it creates that deeper team culture to where they're all invested in the outcome and the result, not just like, how do I get mine?
1: Exactly. And that's yeah, what yeah. happens when you give them that responsibility.
0: Now, I have a question about that, and I don't ask many people this, but I'm always innately curious. Like as a team guy, right? Like as a team guy, like you know that somebody's heart nine out of ten times is way more important than their skill set, right? And so, when you're hiring, when you're thinking for team, like do you hire for team? Do you hire for culture? Do you try to find people that that match the team dynamics, or do you hire for skill set? Like, how do you go about that?
1: Man, I I, I hire by really a lot of its feel, man, like if I, if I have someone in the room and I'm like, this person is very talented, but there's no chance I could sit next to them all day, every day and work with them. I'm not going to bring them in because I'm not even going to do that to my own team. Like if that person doesn't fit. I don't care if I'm not working with them. My other guy has to work with them or other girl. And if I can't stand them, you know, it's just not going to work out. It's not going to fit into the culture. So that's kind of how we look at it. Um, I think for the most part, You can fit, you you can train someone to to do it uh, the right way. You know, it's going to take time. You got to put the effort into it. You got to have the structure and the game plan set out. Uh, But for the most part, most of the time, as long as they have the right personality, they're going to be able to do the job that you want them to do. Uh, But yeah, I mean, for me, it's always been, you know, if that personality isn't right and it's not a good fit, that kills everything else, man. I mean, if anyone's miserable in the business, that's, that's, going to kill every single, it doesn't even matter if it's a completely different position, you know, and, and even if you don't see that person at some point, that's going to affect you in some way. So we, we just try to avoid that as much as possible. And that's kind of been my, my strategy with hiring. I, I, and I, I was not good at hiring. I could tell you that you know, I was the person that would just go, Hey, you know, I, I can't trust anyone. I, I tried to hire every family and, and friend possible because, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. You know, there's great people out there that want to work for great companies as well. And, um, you know, it took me a while to also become somewhat decent at at hiring. I still don't think I'm the greatest at it.
0: Yeah, man, I, well, yeah, I love it. I, I think like when I hear like, and I'm trying to distill this down, what I really hear under everything is like this culture and this humanity. It's like team, like literally team is like the essence of everything that you do. How do, well do we relate? How do we support? Like, I remember, and I can only relate here, but like, I tell people, like, they're like, what was the Marine Corps like? I was like, well, imagine 60 dudes who hate every ounce of their existence in a moment, but share one common goal, and it's we have to accomplish the mission. So we'll love each other through it, even though we don't necessarily like what we're in. You have this shared moment where even when it sucks, or when the world shuts down, or when production sucks, or something happens, that we can come together as a team and, and kind of forge forward with that. So I, I love that, man. I think it's incredible. I think it's incredible. So what's, what's the vision for ice shaker? Like, where do you want to go? Like what's next? Like, I mean, we're early kind of, but you've got so much experience built into this, but like, wh- what's the five, 10 year vision.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, if you asked me two years ago, there was none. So <laughs> we're, we'll, and that we're making improvements big time. No. And that's, that's really what helped take us to that next level as well Is if you have a path and you have a game plan, you're going to, you're going to be successful. You're going to know how to also adapt to if you need to. So, uh, we do, we have a really good game plan. Uh, you know, our, our, our goal every year is at least 30% growth. Uh, mm-hmm. once we put this game plan in place and, and we put the steps in place to get there, uh, we've hit that, we've hit that goal every single month. Uh, we've exceeded that now as every, every month for the years that, that since we put that in. So, uh, it continues to grow this year as well on the same pace. And, you know, that's, that's what it took. It, it took to, you know, let's put this game plan in place. If we're not hitting it, how do we adjust? Uh, if we are hitting it, you know, how do we continue to get better, uh, month over month? Because as you keep growing, man, it doesn't, doesn't always get easier to keep that growth going. So, uh, oh, no. it's, it's, it's hard and, and we've found a way to continue it. And, um, you know, the game plan really, uh, we have, we have a five-year window where we think we can grow 30% every year and, and get to, uh, you know, evaluation of a hundred million. That's that's really what our goal is at this point.
0: Awesome, and then what would you say, like, thinking about from like, when you didn't have the clarity, right? And you didn't know where you were going, you're like, okay, now you have it. Like, what do you think is like one of the biggest drivers for that growth to happen as consistently as it is when there's so many uncontrollable variables outside of your plan?
1: It's just, man, it's 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 sticking to the plan is what it comes down to, um, like that's, I mean, you have to have the benchmarks and we go back and we look at the plan and, and, you know, it's every single week, you know, we have a call sheet and, you know, weekly we're following up, we have quarterly milestones, we have yearly milestones. So, you know, if if the first quarter goes by and we look back and say, man, we didn't hit any of these, what happened? You know, we're able to adjust and, and fix it. Uh, so, you know, a lot of things do happen. You know, we, we run out of stock. We, right now we're out of our best selling bottle. Uh, you know, we're having supply issues, we're changing suppliers, all kinds of things are happening. So uh, it just doesn't give us an excuse. It, it just gives us a reason to pivot and try something different because at the end of the day, we might be out of our best seller, but there's a lot of other bottles in our warehouse that we could still sell. So, you know, let's, let's sit down, let's have a, a chat about it. Hey, you know, we're, we're stuck on this bottle. You know, usually we hit the fitness market with this one, but you know, we got, we got 40,000 of these in stock. So how do we move these? What's the game plan for this month? How do we pivot into that? And this happened to us in the past. I mean, we're we're a small company still. So uh we could fit a hundred, hundred twenty thousand bottles in our warehouse, but you know, when a when a big company comes in and orders ten thousand of your best seller, yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not saying no to it. So no nope. at that point it's it's all about just pivoting, adjusting, new game plan. uh and and really, I mean the overall game plan stays the same, but how do we get into different markets and and kind of pivot that way? So it's been good, man. Uh if you don't have that plan, it's kind of like, oh, you know, um, I guess we're doing all right or, you know, things happen. So, you know, we ran out of our bestseller, but when you do have that game plan, you have those numbers to hit, uh, it, it just, it gives someone something to reach out to. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, and we've seen it all the time. Like you can, you can get, you can pay someone as much as you want, but if you don't have goals in place for them, they're not going to be happy. Yep. And that's kind of what we've seen as well. But when we set milestones, you set goals and you hit them. That's when people are actually satisfied. And and that's what I call winning for me is when my entire team hits all their goals.
0: I love that, man. I mean, like, I love hearing you talk and like listening and hearing all the parts of culture and team and meaning and humanity, like that's embodied. in even how you speak, like you, you nailed it, like. All too often, it's like, yeah, anybody can collect a paycheck, but paychecks don't make people happy. They have to feel like they belong, have to feel like they're part of something. And like, really, every time I ask you a question, it comes down to that. And I love how like tattooed into your essence it is because it's, it's just the mark of like you living and embodying what it is. I, I absolutely love that. I love that. So I have a very important question. Where are the best wings in the world?
1: Oh man, I gotta take the hoodie off for this one.
0: I know where the gun shows out, but I got to know, <laughs> where are they? Ah, uh, best because maroon. I'd be in at every wing spot in Buffalo because I had a thing with wings and then I had a client in Buffalo. You would know the client, but I can't say it on here. And I was coming to Buffalo twice a month and I was like, all right. And I swear I would be in the same office and two people get into a fight about the best wings and like it would get bloody.
1: Okay. Where are the best I, wings in Buffalo? I got you on this one, man. So growing up, before this, before this other place was around, um, my dad would play baseball, like softball. And then we go to, uh, we go to Elmo's after and Elmo's was, was legit. Like the wings were always massive or crispy. Like they were, they were money. Uh, later on, we, we, uh, they opened the Amherst L house and I've always been a huge fan. So they, they won some awards. They have like some crown Royal, like barbecue, uh, wings and they also have like some, like the chicken finger subs, like, man, like he has a stinger where it's like a steak and chicken finger sub, uh, all in one. I'm like, man, when I go back to Buffalo, it's, it's, it's not good for my weight. I can tell you that I usually put on like five to 10 pounds, but it's the only place in the world that you can get food like that. Uh, even the pizza, man, the pizza is different too. Like you in Texas here, you can't get like a, like a mom and pop pizza. you like, you're going to like a jets or like a Domino's pizza, Hut, whatever. But and Buffalo is not like that. Like every corner, there's another pizza, like there's, there's a pizza shop that isn't a chain. It's, you know, yep. someone, you know, it's a, it's a family owned kind of deal. So grew up eating pizza like that, man. And it's, uh, that and the blue cheese, just and the wings, just a whole different world.
0: I was going to ask, and here's, what's funny. I was, I was a ranch guy and then I actually ordered blue cheese and Buffalo and it changed my entire perception of blue cheese. And I was like, Oh, so this is basically the first time I've ever actually eaten blue cheese because everything else was dog shit. Like this yeah, is incredible. And now I eat blue cheese all the time and I'm like a snob because I always compare it to Buffalo.
1: Yeah. It's, it's completely different. Yeah. You can't buy it out of like a salad dressing bottle. Like it's, it's not even possible. They had Rudy's, uh, Rudy's blue cheese was, was huge when I was growing up and we used to buy like the huge tubs of it. Uh, they were a local bar but then They'd also sell it at the, at the grocery store. And, uh, that stuff was like crack at our house man you got to dip your pizza in it you got to dip the oh, wings everything. in it like the, everything. everything you know the celery the carrots everything you dip in blue cheese but man i haven't had that haven't had it in years that's for sure
0: don't worry christmas i will i will get you some <laughs> i will i'm gonna show up to the office in texas with uh, with gel blasters and rudy's blue cheese
1: yeah man I, yeah you can get it shipped in now there's there's a lot of stuff man i was told so it's a pretty cool story. I was with the Colts and uh, the players were like, they they played in Buffalo previously and they loved the pizza so much that they would actually buy it frozen and get it shipped to them and then they make it themselves at the house. And I'm like, dude, I, I didn't even know that was possible that you can do that. But they'll, they'll call up, I think it was Lenovo's maybe in Buffalo that was doing it or I, I don't remember what, what place they were going to, but they were having frozen pizza sent in because they're like, dude, I can't get anything like this anywhere else.
0: It's so awesome, man. I mean, I, I'm that guy, though. I feel like all food deserves a condiment. Like, I have to have a condiment with every meal. Like, I got to dip it in. I got to put it on. And mayonnaise, like, when I retire, I'm going to be a mayonnaise sommelier. That's my job. Like when I <laughs> retire, I'm just going to, I have, like, 80 mayonnaises in my house. I order them from Japan and Netherlands. And, like, some of the best mayonnaise in my life was, like, literally in Amsterdam. Because when you get French fries, they serve it with mayonnaise. Wow. and. And so then you start to like taste it, and so blue cheese is up there for me too. It's up there for me too.
1: Have you have you tried this? This one stood out to me. I went to Jake's the other day. I think it's called here in Texas. And uh, when you get the sweet potato fries, they give you like a like a marshmallow dip.
0: Whoa! Yeah, that, that sounds shit a minute.
1: That was next level. That was next level.
0: Oh my god! Everyone's like, "Why do you guys work out so much?" I'm like, "So we can eat this food." that's why i work out so much because like that sweet potatoes and marshmallow dip sounds like a diabetic coma and happiness at the same time like legitimately
1: it was a dance man
0: i love it so i always like to ask a couple rapid fires at the end because i think there's some stuff so like now entrepreneurship business what is one of the most impactful books you've ever read that's helped you as an entrepreneur or in business
1: man um I, I, the last book I probably read, I, I read the book. I read Steve Madden's book. Um, mm-hmm. it's probably the last one I read. I had him on my podcast and, um, great story. And he, and it's, it's great because he also starts it off with the fact that, you know, he he gives all the credit to his team, which was pretty cool to see. Um, before that, I, I would say Grit, the book Grit by Angela yep. Duckworth. Um, yep. just, just eye opening, man. Just the fact that, you don't have to be the smart I mean, there's really no correlation. You know, like you could it didn't matter if you're the smartest. Uh, you know, really there was no trait that you could really put on it besides what she called grit. Like just actually wanting to get it done. You know, those were the people that were successful. Like it didn't matter how smart they were, their background, any of that stuff. Like after all the studies, it was like these people just wanted to do it. They wanted to get the job done and they found a way to do it, which is like it's just so eye opening. You don't you don't have to come from a certain background or have the most talent in the world. You don't have to be the smartest person. You just got to, you just got to want to do it and do it well mm-hmm. and do it to the best of your ability. And it was, it was so cool to see. I know a lot of it was based around like Navy SEALs and like, you know, how do they get through that training? It wasn't the best athlete or, you know, it, it was a guy who wanted it the most. So that was definitely an impactful book that I read.
0: Yeah. They even used that in the selection process. Some of my best friends were on the teams and, you know, you can be the number one performer on the teams, and they'll take the guy with the bigger heart over the number one performer every single time every single time. I love that now, this is one of my favorite ones what What do people never ask you but wish that they did?
1: Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know. i I don't think I've ever had that question asked.
0: I was like I was like, I'm even thinking about our podcast. I'm like, damn it, I asked him like man, did we really have to talk about the NFL that much? I'm like, all right, the story arc was like really good. I'm like, oh, but there's like a better one. So I'm going to ask you one now. Let me ask you this one. I'm actually, I'm the most excited to hear you answer this question out of anybody because your whole story, your brothers, your everything. So I've asked this to only two other people on my podcast. If you could combine two animals to be your spirit animals, what would they be and why?
1: <laughs> man, Boy, we're going hard on these. Uh <laughs> I don't know. That's 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 a tough call too. Um, I, I don't study my animals that well. I mean, I, I would say my traits. Um, you know, just for me, it's it's just consistency, always showing up, you know, always putting that work in. It's kind of, I don't know. I, I think of like the honey badger, of just uh, yes,
0: like, I can totally see honey badger for you, bro. Yes,
1: like that dude's just going hard. Like I did, I go to the zoo this dude's going like pacing full speed all day, every single day, like just, just going ham. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive. And then people you know, will be like, yo, how do you do it? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you don't stop. Like it's, you know, you're, you're emailing me at 5am and I'm getting email at midnight the same day. Like it yeah, was, what's wrong with you. But, um, that mixed with, mixed with, I don't, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to mix it with though. That's, that's, that's the next level right there. What do you mix it with?
0: I stuff. answer. I answered. I wanted to be a bald eagle and an orca whale because I wanted to be a master of both domains. Nice. And so, yeah. Somebody asked me this question like three years ago, man, and it broke my brain. And I literally, we got done with the show, and I gave the answer. I thought about it for weeks, like weeks.
1: Yeah, you you got to. Yeah, that's that's a question that you got to think about, man. Because I don't I don't know my animals that well either. So I got it. I, I, got love, to I, I think
0: them. honey bat I think honey bat, I think there's probably at some point, a mythical creature named Gronkowski that's gonna end up in some urban dictionary anyways, because you guys are bred a little bit differently. So it might just be Honey Badger and Gronk, like together. Yeah. <laughs> we oh, we can make that a thing, man. Like unicorns, rainbows, Gronk. Like Gronk can be some mythical creature. We'll come up with a logo at some point. We'll launch a new supplement. We'll call it Gronk. And we'll just oh. call it a day. We'll make it a spirit animal, bro.
1: Yeah, yeah. that. Would-
0: I love it. it. So um, one last question, and um, this one's not as challenging, but I always like to ask this. So I have this concept called uh, tattoo wisdom, and, and I'm like, imagine that for the last 59 minutes, nobody heard this episode. They didn't hear any of it, and they just picked it up at this point. And you have this last minute to tattoo anything on their soul that they'll take with them forever, that they can remember, that they should think about, that is really, really important. What is the tattoo wisdom that you would give everybody listening?
1: yeah i'd like that um people always ask me like hey how did you get into entrepreneurship you know what what's what's your best advice so i always tell them um you know chase chase what you're passionate about you know that's that's what i did you know i was passionate about sports fitness going to the gym and then find a way to you know make money on it you know make a living off of it and um you know for me i didn't think i'd ever be selling a shaker bottle you know i was just super passionate about going to the gym you know, I, I loved it so much. I talked about it. I posted about it. That was all I was doing. And I found a way then to make a living. You know, being able to go to the gym or sell a bottle that has you know, that's being used in the gym. So, uh, if you don't love it, at some point you're going to give up on it. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. Uh, I could tell you, you know, day one we brought in the bottles, ten thousand bottles. It was, you know, half of them were defective. I sat upstairs and upstairs in my house for three months with my father-in-law changing out every single lid uh, on the bottles before we shipped them out. So uh, at that point, like I said before, we were making a lot of money with my wife's business. I didn't have to do it. I did it because I was super passionate about it. I wasn't going to let it fail uh, because I love doing it. So if you don't love doing it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, you know, how much money you're making off of it. If you're not passionate about it. You're going to, you're going to fail and you're going to give up on it at some point. So pick something you love doing, uh, you know, kind of become an expert at it and, um, started as a side hustle until it grows big enough to go all in on it.
0: So good. Such, such profound wisdom and, and so many levels of depth in that answer that would take a while to unpack. I couldn't, I couldn't think of a better way. So, uh, for everybody listening, by the way, uh, not only is he on the podcast, but I'm a customer as well. And I had a lot of them even before I emailed him, but they have my pink. You can't get this one unless you come to our events anyways, but get one anyways. So, um, Here's what I recommend everybody do. Number one, uh, and I'm going to give Chris a little props. Uh, I don't consume much content at all. It's one of my rules, but Chris's Instagram is extremely inspiring. He's putting out nuggets, wisdom, trolling his brothers. But what I love, man, I love your heart. I, I really love the embodiment of like everything that you've said on this show and everything that we've ever talked about. I feel like you're a walking example of like you embody it all the way. And I feel like you're just constantly out there giving and serving and like really helping everybody play team. And so for everybody listening, um, I'll make this easy for you. If you want a link to Chris's Instagram, just DM me. I will send it to you personally, or you just go find him. There's not many Gronkowskis in the world. uh, So Chris Gronkowski on Instagram is not the most difficult thing to find. Um, And then definitely check out Ice Shaker. Um, This is my favorite one, by the way. And you can fit a whole bottle of wine in it, just in case you didn't know that. So just in case you're you're on the road or you want to smuggle something in uh, you know, it fits in the bottle, but we absolutely love these things. And so make sure you check out ice shakers as well. And uh, yeah, Chris, any, any parting words of wisdom, anything you want to leave everybody with that we haven't covered. That
1: was a good show, man. No, I appreciate you having me on today. Uh, yeah. Brother, please. please jer- the first j- yeah, man. Yeah. Check out my social, drop me, drop me a line, you know, hit me up with a comment. If you listen to the show, let me know. We'd love to hear what you liked about it. And uh, if you have any questions you want to know more, if- feel free to DM me, uh, ask questions on my comments. I love replying back to questions. So uh, I love engaging with my audience and, and that's one of my favorite things to do is answer back to questions. So please hit me up.
0: Yeah, I love it. And so everybody, you, you literally now have a permission slip to slide into Gronk's DMs and it's completely okay. So hit him up, <laughs> slide in. And full disclaimer, George Bryan Enterprises has no control over the unsolicited messages you're going to get, but I will leave that up to you and them. But everybody, guys, make sure you check out Chris. Go to his Instagram. Check out Ice Shaker. And as always, I will either see you in the next episode or you'll hear me in your earbuds. But either way, we are out. So, Chris, thanks for being here, man. And uh, everybody, have a good day. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show.